Let's just take a moment and pray for this ministry. We bow our heads today, dear Lord, and we pray especially for Julianne Matten and Lighthouse Helping Hands Ministry. Thank you, God, from the germ of a, an idea came this great ministry. And so we thank you for planting that little seed in their hearts, and we pray that you'll continue to bless them. They're blessing people around the world today in our own church and around this community, and we pray that you'll continue to bless them and provide for their every need and bless each one here that's a part of this ministry through their giving and for their gifts and their time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you heard, we have one more week that uh, we have the nominations for church board members so if you haven't done so yet i encourage you to do so apparently there's four names that you can put up there i pray that you would just seriously consider all of those things and uh we're looking forward to another year when you have a new pastor and uh about a half of the board will be new that'll be an exciting time for each and every one of us the the nominations close next week so i ask you to to vote, um, for, uh, pardon me, to set your nomination there. I just want to give, maybe it's not necessary because halfway through, I should have said it at the beginning. Sometimes when it comes to nominations, you kind of assume that, oh, well, so-and-so is going to get nominated because everybody knows them and they're always on the board. So let me encourage some of the people that, you know, may be down the list. I just want them to know somebody's caring. And I've seen that happen in some situations. And people that normally would have gotten a vote for a nomination. Well, they didn't get one because everybody was thinking, well, somebody else will get them. So what we do is we put down those people that we feel are the best representatives. Amen? Amen. You know, a few years ago, they did this crude little experiment with mice, and they put them in a bucket. So they put this mouse in a bucket of water to just see how long it would last swimming. Lasted a few minutes and kind of went to the bottom. So they picked it up, revived it, set it on the dry uh, table for a little while till it recuperated, and then they put it back in again. And this time, it didn't just swim for a couple of minutes, it swam for 23 hours. You know why? Hope. Hope. Hope is so important, isn't it? Hope is our anchor. And uh, I say that because I want to read this scripture with you. Let's uh, look at the, the, uh, <clears throat> the slide. Let's read this in unison. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I don't know about you, but when we were singing those songs today, my heart was encouraged. Amen. Just makes me want to keep on keeping on when we sing those Christ-centered messages and those songs. And it gives me hope. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we look into the life of David and in a moment when things were difficult for him, we pray that you will bless us through this word and help us, Lord, today. We want to be encouraged The Bible says, let each of us be encouraged daily, as long as it's called today, this day that we have. And so we pray that you will bless us, encourage us through your word. We pray that you would give us hope today. There might be someone here today who is just about ready to give up hope. And we pray that you will just 
infuse them with the hope of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, a few years ago, there was a story of international interest. It was the story of something that was happening in Spain. There was a man that had been arrested and was going to be executed by a firing squad. Now, there was a bit of a challenge to this by the Americans and the British because this man was an American citizen and he was born in Wales. And so the ambassadors of those countries pleaded with the Spanish to not. They didn't have a right to execute him, the firing squad, so it didn't prevail. They didn't work. So they came up with a plan. So what they did was they took the Union Jack and they took the Stars and the Stripes and they wrapped the man in those two flags. And then they said to their executioners, now fire a shot. And if you do, you're going to defy the nations that are represented by those flags. And you're going to bring the powers of those two great nations upon you. (laughs) So the man stood there and one shot would have ended his life. Didn't need a firing squad, but not not one single shot was fired. And the man's life was safe and secure as long as he was wrapped in those flags. He might as well have been encased in three-inch steel, amen, because he was safe and protected. And then, you know, in the same way, everybody that's here who has come to Jesus Christ and given their lives to him, Jesus has taken my and your poor guilty souls ever since we believed in him, and he has wrapped us, he has wrapped us in his blood-red flag of his atoning sacrifice. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life, but the wages of sin is death. And that all mankind have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But before that death sentence that we all deserve can come upon us, what has to happen is that God would have to insult the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, and he will never, never, ever do that. Hallelujah. I am safe as if I were encased in steel from anything that the enemy can bring to me. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice. And isn't it incredible? And uh, Brother Paul talked about this in the Bible class today. You know, we are covered over with the robe of righteousness that God looks at us as if we're perfect. And I know I'm a stinker and I'm a failure in many ways, but God looks at me through the blood of Christ as if I were perfect. Hallelujah. As if I never sinned. Amazing. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. There's a couple of things I didn't understand when I first became a Christian. One of the things I didn't understand was this whole idea of the fact that I thought I found him. You know, I got saved back in those days of the Jesus movement in the early 70s when the hippies were getting saved and and uh, there was just a charismatic movement in the, among the Catholic and Anglican churches and others. It was a great move of the Spirit across North America, the world for that matter. And uh, I was just one of those seeking souls. So after alcohol and then after drugs, I thought, I, I'm going to check this out. 
and uh, I checked out the church, and something was real there, and I gave my heart to Jesus. And in my head, I was thinking, well, I was just one of those teenagers that decided I wasn't happy with what was going on in all these other groups, and I wanted to find the Lord. So I had this idea that it was me doing most of the seeking when I realized later, as I read the scripture, that I was really on a flight from God, and the only reason I was getting my heart drawn close to him was because the Holy Spirit was drawing me in answer to people's prayers that were praying for me because the bible says no one can be saved except the spirit of god draw them so that's one thing i didn't quite have figured out i gave gave myself way too much credit the second thing i thought after i got saved was oh this how can this last i am not going to be able to make it to the end and that's when i came across this little quote that said god's grip on us is always stronger than our grip on him. Hallelujah. 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 Today I want to take you back in time to the life of David in a time that was quite difficult for him. I'm going to call the message The Desert of Maon. And uh, the subtitle would be Bound Securely in God. It's taken from 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're going to look at the story. But there's one verse in that chapter that jumps out at me. And when I camped on it, when I studied it, when I got into the Hebrew and what the meanings of all the words meant, it was such a blessing to me. And that verse is this, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living of the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. That's amazing verse. Though someone is pursuing you to take your life. And so may God bless his word this morning as we go through it one by one. Maybe there's someone today in this service or listening online that has never experienced the love of God, the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, has never known what it's like for God to wrap them in his loving arms and to shield them from eternal death. Today, Jesus wants to do something special for you. He wants you to receive him. For those who do not know the security of being wrapped in that blood-red flag, of Jesus Christ. Today is your day. For the believer who who needs right now just to have an assurance, a little reminder perhaps of the security and the comfort that can come to their lives when their life is hidden with Christ in God. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Can it get any more secure than that? (laughs) No, never. So let's go to the story and let's allow the story to be an example to teach us and encourage us today. It says in the first verse of chapter 25, now Samuel died, Samuel is the prophet, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him in his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. We'll stop there for just a moment. Samuel is the prophet. Samuel has gone to King Saul, who was the one chosen by God, but because Saul's heart was not right, he was disobedient, Samuel came to him and said, God is not going to give you a dynasty. 
your family will no longer be the reigning kings. I have chosen someone else. And then he went to the house of Jesse, where he had a number of sons, and David was the son that was there. And he anointed David, and he said, God has anointed you to be king. Now Saul is still the king, but David has been anointed as his successor. That's the kind of situation. And it says, now that Samuel was dead, it says David fled. (laughs) As long as Samuel was there, he would go to Saul, and Saul would respect him enough to behave himself a little bit, at at least a little bit. And so it says David moved down. And it was like a downward move by David to go into the desert of Maon. When they get into the desert of Maon, there's a very wealthy man that's in this place called Nabal. And he has a very sharp wife called Abigail. And so let's read the story as it appears, starting at verse number two. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel... Was, a very, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His wife, or his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel. And greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them. There were 600 men David had with him. We didn't ill-treat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we have come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal the message in David's name, and they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men for who, come from, for who come from who knows where? Nice answer. So David's men turned around and went back, and when they arrived, they reported every word. <clears throat> David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, and while 200 stayed with the supplies. And we'll stop there for a moment. The story goes on. But in verse number three, it speaks of Abigail, and it says she was intelligent and beautiful. Beauty and brains, good combination, the best combination, right? (laughs) However, her husband was rude, mean, and unfriendly. Nabal's character is demonstrated in this story already, as we've seen it. And he doesn't show kindness. He refuses to show kindness to David and his men, who have been like a blanket, a wall of protection around them while they were there from the wolves, from other outlaws that would come and try to steal sheep. And so they've been protected by David and his men. 
And so when David gets this message back, he's just a little more than ticked off. He's, he's pretty upset about this. He's enraged. And, and so one of Nabal's servants hears about David's rage and anger and quickly gets the message to his wife, Abigail. So in verse number 14, it says these words. When one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us. And the whole times that we were in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster's hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, about 10 gallons or 45 liters of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on the donkeys. And then she told her servants, go ahead and I'll follow you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. And as she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descended toward her, and she met them. David had just said, "It's been useless all my watching of his, his, pardon me, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one man alive." He was upset. Verse twenty-three. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I didn't see the men that my lord sent Verse 26, and now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift, which, is your, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because... You fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you, isn't that great? To take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living of the Lord your God, but the lies of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning you, David, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, may or my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought, uh, Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. God has sent a message today through his word to some of us that are here today. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord your God lives, who has kept me from harming you, 
You hadn't come quickly to meet me. Not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive at daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your requests. One of the servants came and said, Abigail, your husband is at it again. This time he's really blown it. I think he's gone too far. She loses no time. This is important, isn't it? She doesn't waste any time. She quickly goes to David. and She quickly does something. She gathers all of these things together, the loaves of bread, the skins of wine, the dressed sheep, the bushels of grain, raisin cakes, pressed figs, and off she goes. And she begs David when she gets to David to forgive her husband Nabal, pleading with him not to carry out this plan of attack to wipe him out. When I think of this story, I think of three words, and they all kind of rhyme. Bind, blind, remind. And as we go through this story, and it won't be, <laughs> it'd be not that long, but we'll look through it, and as I go through it again, let's think of those three words. Bind, blind, remind. Abigail reminded David that he was safely bound, that God did bind him up in the bundle of the living. David's circumstances had blinded him. You know, circumstances have a way of doing that, don't they? All of a sudden, we forget, we get blinded. In order to get David's attention, she preaches to David. She's like a prophet. She reminds David of the promises that God had made to him. Some of us, or whatever you're going through today, there's a, there's a moment right now where God needs to remind you of his promise to you. You set out on a path, and it seemed that you were following the Lord in the way that you, you knew he wanted you to go, but circumstances have changed. God wants to remind you today of his promise to you, that he's going to follow through, he's going to keep you. So God uses Abigail to remind David that his life is securely bound by God and not to worry, not to take things into your own hands. I think somebody here today is facing something and, and you're about ready to take it into your own hands and today God is saying, hold it, trust me. Let me be the one who cares for this. From a most unlikely source, in the most unlikely place comes one of the most blessed, encouraging reminders to David. Abigail comes as a reminder. I mean, how would you like to be David? Samuel said, you're going to be king. You have sensed the power of the Holy Spirit. You know in your heart that you're supposed to be king. And Saul is just trying to kill you. Everywhere you go, he chases you. You go into the desert, he follows you there. He's after you all the time. And one time he hid in a cave, and wouldn't you know it, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. And he set his robes down to relieve himself, and David reached over, cut a little corner off of the robe. And then Saul went back to be with the men, and he said, Hey. And as soon as he did it, he was conscious, conscience-stricken. He's, I shouldn't even have done that. That's the kind of person David is. And yet he was very human. You can see his reaction to this man called Nabal at this particular time. In the middle of David's difficult time, out of obscurity comes this marvelous messenger called Abigail. 
sent from the heart of God to a man who for a brief moment had been blinded by the circumstances that he was in and forgotten the tremendous provision of God. And maybe there's someone here in that same situation today from this often neglected, unread book of 1 Samuel comes a reminder to all of us today that we are secure in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel ahead of time. Amen. A reminder that regardless of what you're feeling today, at this moment, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then God says to you today that you are bound in God. Your life is hidden in God with Christ. Hallelujah. Abigail says to David, even though someone is pursuing you, she's talking about Saul, she wasn't talking about Nabal, she's talking about Saul. She understood what David was going through. She knew that he was frustrated. It's often easier for people that are outside to see what we're going through, isn't it? She says, David, everybody knows that you're going to be the king. Can you imagine how encouraging that was to David? I mean, he's being chased. He's wondering, is Saul going to catch me? Is he going to kill me? What, 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 what's going on here? And here this woman says, David, everybody knows. It's going to be all right. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? Everybody knows that God has appointed you to be the next king. Just, just a tremendous thing that she says. Sometimes everybody else can see much more clearly than we can. And this is what happened with David. So he sent Abigail to remind David that God's going to look after him and his men. And she also says in verse 30, it says, David, when God has done for you every good thing he promised. (laughs) She didn't say if or it probably. No, she says when. Hallelujah. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And we might be in a place where it seems that we're wondering where he is. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When God comes through for you, David. (laughs) When God has done for you everything that he has promised. And then she says, when you are on the throne. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Hallelujah. David needed this message. He needed her to stop him so that he didn't have on his hands needless bloodshed when he became a king. In verse 31, David, you don't want to have this on your conscience, but when God has brought you success. I don't know what kind of situation you might be in today, but the Bible says, trust God. Don't try to avenge yourself. Don't take things into your own hand. The God who saved you will keep you. Abigail says, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. In the King James Version, it says, a man. A man. A man is pursuing you, David. Is something pursuing you today? Is that man's name poverty? Is that man's name sickness? Is that man's name temptation to leave? Is that man's name to run away? Is the enemy of your soul whispering lies to you? Is that man's name revenge? Is something or someone pursuing you today to take away your spiritual life? Abigail says to David, the life of my master is bound securely in the bundle of the living. 
Now that's a very strange and uncommon metaphor in the Bible. And that's why it took me a while to make sure I understood what was really going on. She says, the lives of your enemies, David, God's going to hurl away like a rock in the pocket of a sling. Now, David could relate to that. (laughs) Remember the story of David and Goliath, and he took that stone and put it in his sling? It's not one of these slingshots. It's one of those that you, you do this with. And he flung it out and killed the giant. She says, David, you're not in the pocket of a sling, ready to be cast out. You're wrapped up in the bundle of the living of the Lord. David, all those storms that are ruffling you right now are going to be blown over shortly. The only other occurrence of this metaphor in the Bible is found in the book of Genesis. This Hebrew word, very rare. It says in Genesis chapter 42, verse 35, this is the story where Joseph is down in Egypt. His brothers come. He hides himself from his brothers. He doesn't let them know it's, it's him. They buy their grain and bring it back to Israel. And he takes the money and he puts it back into their money bags, their pouches. And so it says, as they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch. There's that word, the pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, Second time this appears in the Bible, or the first time, only appears twice, they were frightened. It refers to a money bag or a purse, a place of safe keeping, where men in those days put things of value. And so they put, Joseph snuck the money into their money bags, put it back in. God has his own money bag, doesn't he? <laughs> He has his purse, a place of safekeeping. His name is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We're in his money bag. And he puts us in there to protect us from being lost or damaged. Hallelujah. In Deuteronomy, it says we're his treasured possession. We are his treasured possession. And God keeps us in his money. Abigail, with much persuasiveness and sympathy to David's cause, reminds David that his soul is bound securely in the bundle of of life with God. So really, what advantage, what value, what power would enable stinginess and his rudeness, or for that matter, Saul's jealousy and constant pursuing of David have over him if his life is guarded day and night by God? Hallelujah. Who or what can harm us? Amen. If we are if we are Christ's and we're bound up in the bundle of life with God. In India there is a saying, so I am told, the just judge is bound up in the bundle of righteousness. Same idea. How do you or I found this find this security? Can we be bound in this bundle that we're talking about today, not just in David's life, which is a picture of salvation in Jesus Christ, this bundle of the living? Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote to the believers there, and he said, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Hmm. 
you died. How do you die? <laughs> anyway, you die spiritually and you're born again. You surrender your life to Jesus. I died in 1973 and I lost my life, but I found it. I found him who was seeking me and found me. Later that year, I was baptized in water as a public sign to say, I'm dead. That old life is buried and I am risen with new life in Jesus Christ. That's what water baptism is all about. When I turned my life over to Jesus Christ, something happened that I wasn't immediately aware of. And this is what it was. God took me and put me in his money pouch. Hallelujah. In his purse. In Jesus Christ. He took me out of the sling. That rock that was about to be hurled into eternal darkness took me and put me a stone in the, on the rock, hallelujah, Jesus Christ. My greatest fear when I became a Christian, as I said, I wouldn't be able to hang in there. But remember, God's grip on us is always stronger than our grip on him. I'm not keeping him, he's keeping me. Today, my life is hidden with Jesus Christ and God. How secure is that? Remember, he says, my life is hidden. It's hidden from the world. First, John chapter 3, verse 2 says it doesn't appear what we shall be. The verses before that and after it say it this way. How great is the love of God. How much he's lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. And what we are will not, has not been made known, not fully. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. It does not yet appear. But we have a promise. David received a promise, a reminder. When you were on the throne, we receive a promise from God today. We are going to be with Christ. We are going to be joint heirs with him. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ one day. And sometimes circumstances cause us to just perhaps forget that for a moment. Want to take things into our own hands. And today God's saying, hands off. You're in my hand. No man can pluck you out of God's hand. Amen. Hallelujah. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life, indestructible everlasting life. Romans 8, a few verses from verse 31 to 39 says, what shall we say in response to all this that we've heard this morning? And what Paul had written earlier in Romans, if God's for us, who can be against us? <laughs> who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. I'm happy to be a conqueror, but I'm going to be more than a conqueror. Whatever that means, I don't understand, but I, mean, I know it means better than being a conqueror. <laughs> I'm persuaded that death... In life, neither angels nor demons, height nor depth, anything in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, our life is hidden. Hallelujah. It's hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. Uh, I pastored for a while in Kincardine, Ontario, and 
Our church was near Lake Huron, and it was a wide open at that particular place, and the wind came in pretty ferociously. Some Saturday nights, I would be at the church praying, getting ready for Sunday. I'd be praying, and you could just hear those breakers hitting the shoreline. Just was an incredible sound. And then I would remember a hymn that I taught myself after I got saved. And we sang it a few times in churches. My anchor holds. Though the angry surges roll on my tempest-driven soul, I'm peaceful, for I know. Wildly though those winds may blow, I've an anchor safe and sure that shall evermore endure. Mighty tides about me sweep. Angry clouds or, sh- or pardon me, perils leak beneath lurk beneath the deep angry clouds or shade the sky still the tempest rises high still I stand the tempest shock for my anchor grips the rock troubles almost whelm my soul griefs like billows over me roll tempters seek to lure astray storms obscure the light of day by but in Christ I shall be bold I've an anchor that shall hold And it holds, my anchor holds. Blow your wildest then, O gale, on my bark so small and frail. My anchor holds, my anchor holds. Hallelujah. My anchor holds, my anchor holds. Hallelujah. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him. Hallelujah. So when you trust in God and not in yourself, When you allow God to fight the battles for you, he can really handle, he doesn't do such a bad job, you know. (laughs) In conclusion, favorite part of the whole sermon, right? (laughs) In near Colorado Springs, there's a place called Williams Canyon. I think I got a picture of it up there in a second. They call it the Narrows. And when you're driving up that long road and you're coming to this Narrows, it's a little, little hole that they cut or bored through the mountain. And the closer you get, the more you begin to realize, how is my car going to fit through there? And you get so close, you say, everybody breathe in. You just got to feel like that, right? And just when you get closer, there's a sign that says, yes, you can. (laughs) A million others have. (laughs) Sure enough, you approach that narrow place and it widens just enough to fit your car through. (laughs) We tend to think that the difficulties that we face in life are unique to us and it helps us to know that millions of others have met the same circumstances, pretty well the same, and overcome them. Life is difficult. There are problems that seem unsolvable. There are threats that seem devastating. There are plenty of voices that prophesy failure. But Paul said to the Corinthian Christians, no temptation has ever seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will also provide a way of escape, a way out so that you can stand up under it. The story of David and Abigail's is given to us in the scripture to give us hope, amen, to help us endure, 
to encourage us today, regardless of what we're going through, to remind us of the security we have in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And if we're blinded by the circumstances, it's a reminder that God did bind us to Jesus Christ when we surrendered our life to him. So even though something or someone is pursuing you to take your life, your life is bound securely in the bundle of the living of the Lord your God. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Worship team, come and let's just praise the Lord for together. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, we bow in your presence this day, O Lord. Oh, it is a privilege to know you, Lord. Oh, God, we know that the, the old songwriter said half has not yet been told. Not even a fraction, the smallest fraction has been told of what you have for those of us when we die in the wonderful future heaven. I just pray, God, that you'll bless your word to our hearts today. And if there's someone here who does not know the Lord as their Savior, listening online or here in this service, today they can give their heart and life to Jesus. Before the worship team comes with that song and every head is bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and don't know the Lord as your Savior. You want to receive Jesus as your Savior. And you like me and others that are here to pray for you. You just raise your hand and put it down again. I'll remember you in prayer. I don't see any hands. That means we must be secure. Oh, God, thank you for your word today. Bless us together as we worship you now. Bless us as we gather together in Cafe Connect and have fellowship one with another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.